Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom and Don Lister of Anahata Yoga Centre. We are a yoga studio based in Lee-on-Sea, Essex, UK. Today we are joined by James Chapman and he has quite a biography. Very excited to be chatting to James. James is a mental health first aid trainer. He's also a yoga therapist and yoga teacher, a massage therapist, something we have in common. Uh, he's on the faculty of Yoga Campus. James is also an anti-racist campaigner and the father of three girls. Something else we have in common. I can give you some tips. Mainly, find a space not to be where they are when they're teenagers. <laughs> so welcome, James. We're really excited to have this conversation. We have so many things to talk about, but let's check in and see how we all are today. Daniel, how is you? How's your day? How's your week? What's happening? I'm doing all right, thanks, Dawn. Been for a nice walk this morning. It was really foggy this morning, so I went out quite early and walked along the seafront, and it was quite eerie because there wasn't anyone around and you couldn't really see anything. So, um, yeah, I didn't stay down there too long because I was scaring myself despite knowing that <laughs> there was nothing there. <laughs> but, no, it's been good. I was just saying just before the podcast started, um, I've been trying to find things that made me laugh because this part of lockdown feels quite tough for me so I've been indulging in watching um Shit's Creek which has just really really been making me laugh and yeah there's just something really wonderful about the characters in it and just the kind of the irreverence of it um I know you watch it as well Dom, and it just yeah it just makes me just makes me really laugh so yeah that's that's kind of keeping me going at the moment that um just staying in a routine, you know, which for me seems to be um, keeping that stability for the time being. How are you doing, Dawn? Yeah, yeah, I wish I could say I was doing what you're doing because I know I should be listening to stuff that makes me laugh, but actually I'm really digging into stuff that makes me very dark and depressed. <laughs> quite the opposite. So I'm working, as you know, I've been working on a book for quite a long time. It's a book about um, my upbringing um, as a Jehovah's Witness and what it was like leaving the cult and making my way in the world. And because we're coming to the end of lockdown, my husband's like, I don't want you to go back to work until you've finished your book. You keep banging on about. And I need a deadline. So I've kind of got this six weeks to get my first draft finished. So every spare minute I'm writing. And it's really depressing me because there's, it's kind of almost like picking a scab and it's a scab that I kind of thought I'd, I'd picked off and healed a long time ago. And clearly I have not completely picked off that scab and healed all of it. So I'm, I'm kind of finding myself feeling a little bit morose and a bit, a bit sad, but also very compassionate for myself and my parents who are still in, you know, so it's been, it's been a weird week. I kind of keep finding myself in this because um, we record in this cabin, don't we? I'm in my cabin away from the family for lots of reasons, including that I have three girls. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm finding myself in the cabin at like nine o'clock at night, still typing in the dark. And I started at two and I, I like hours have passed. So, yeah, it's been a weird week, but kind of maybe productive. I think maybe some comedy tonight is a good idea. I need to watch something funny, a bit of balance. Bit of dark depression, a bit of cheerfulness. Yeah. James, how about you? What have you been up to? How are you? I'm really good, thanks. Yeah. Um, I've been up to well, it's my birthday on Monday, so it's been a really good week for me. So I just had a really nice, uh, relaxing day with the kids. 
um, if that's possible, and just really didn't do anything, which was good. And my wife cooked all my meals and fussed around after me. And yeah, it was lovely. So I've been um, I've been writing as well recently, um, and um, uh, I started writing about my life story actually, and, and some of the stuff that I went through when I was a kid, and um, and actually wrote a short film out of that, which has been picked up by a producer. So I'm developing that into a, um, a feature length film. And um, actually my birthday present was a screenwriting book <laughs> to, for my wife to say, get on with it basically. Um, so I'm trying not to give myself a hard time about that because it is very difficult writing, especially when there is deadlines and, and you know, um, so, um, but yeah, so I've been good. Yeah, I've been good. And I've been I've been watching uh, Trailer Park Boys. I don't know whether you've seen Trailer Park Boys. Have you seen it? No. It's very silly. <laughs> it's very silly. It's about some Canadian guys who live on a trailer park. And uh, it's very silly. So if you want to, if you want to laugh at some something, it's uh, it's kind of tragic as well, though. There's a very dark side to it. You know, there's a lot of drugs and 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 just like real unhappiness and poverty as well but it's about them kind of just getting through it the way they do but there's also some really beautiful aspects of human nature how they look after each other as well so it's uh, so yeah trailer park boys is my is my recommendation definitely maybe i'll check it out check maybe. it out it's on netflix yeah it's uh, <laughs> i just stumbled onto it and it's um there's like about i don't know i think it was going for like 10 years like every episode oh. they seem to all get bigger and bigger and <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it like the other end of the spectrum from Chelsea from Made in Chelsea? Um, made in the trailer park. I suppose. <laughs> I think the guys in the trailer park are probably. <laughs> I don't want to say anything about the Chelsea characters. It's different. It's different. different. Yeah, it's definitely different, but probably just as similar in in a similar way. It's just as kind of weird, you know. <laughs> I've, I've never watched any of the made in anything so my kids watch them and love them and they're always like you're so judgy mum and I'm like yeah but like I just don't want to watch you know people going shopping it's such a funny my husband loves all those um housewives programs you know you've got the housewives of Beverly Hills and the housewives of New York and They've they've done some in the UK, so they've got Housewives of Chelsea and and Cheshire. Cheshire. And then that. there's yeah. one around Housewives of Jersey. Yeah. And it's just I, I sit there and I'm like, how can you watch this? It just rocks my brain. It just everything about it just makes me feel kind of uneasy watching it and he absolutely loves it he was literally sit there for hours and hours and hours because there's so many of them isn't there yeah. to watch <laughs> and he that? just loves it and he just thinks it's so funny and I, I get it because it's so it's so surreal yeah. and it's so different to our lives I kind of get why people get pulled into it but for me I just can't deal with the the bitchiness and the kind of the, the the kind of conflict that's always there all the time there's all that competition it just makes me feel really uneasy watching it so i i can only every time he puts it on he knows he's going to get a few hours to himself because i'll go and disappear upstairs and <laughs> can never lie down so <laughs> i can't hear it <laughs> interesting yeah i know someone there was there was there was one um 
um, that's set in London, and I know one of the, the people in it. And uh, she's really nice. And uh, every every pretty much every week she'd be in tears uh, because these other women were just being horrible to her. And then she's like, why are they being so horrible to me? And it's just like, well, because that's what they're like. <laughs> and that's, you know, it's, I just thought, well, I thought, why is she doing this? I don't know why. But um, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> the, funny, the funny thing is I, I grew up in Brentwood, which is where obviously Towie is based. And the way that it gets presented, even Brentford, it just shows it in a completely different light to actually live in there, where it's actually a very mundane place to live. You know, mm. I mean, you know, growing up there as a as a as a young queer child and teenager, I literally couldn't wait to get away from it. You know, it was like to get anywhere other than Brentford because it was so too wonderful, white, you know, middle class. You know? <laughs> and it watching it on these TV programs where it's 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 shown in such a glamorous way. And then you go down the high street and it's just like any other high street in out of London, you know, it's you know not very entertaining, but re not very exciting, particularly. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? We're talking about like reality TV and stuff. And I kind of feel like that kind of life that they're portraying is very much about the need to be seen and to feel visible and feel important. And because I, and I could be completely wrong here, but it's just my sense. It's like maybe there's not a strong enough sense of themselves and happiness within, within themselves that there's a need to be out there in the public for everybody to see what they're doing and what they've got and who they know. And I really don't know that it's particularly good for A, their mental health or B, the mental health of people that watch it, that feel like their life is meant to look a bit like that. And actually in reality, our life doesn't look like that. I mean, we're speaking about Brentwood and just recently we had the tragic, tragic suicide of the guy who owned the Sugar Hut. I don't think he owned it anymore. I think he was a property developer now, but poor man, you know, during lockdown, I don't know what went on, but you know, he took, he ended up taking his own life and it was, you know, I, I kind of feel like the, the world of reality TV has done our children and young people a huge disservice because they're deeply, deeply unhappy with, you know, the simple, normal things in life, you know, simple connections of, you know, family and friendship and what's achievable for them. Because not everybody's going to have great big houses and poles and cars and contracts where money and phones are thrown at them just for being seen with them that that isn't the reality of life for most people mm. what do you guys think about that what's your thoughts yeah, I mean I, I think it's uh, all of these reality tv it's, it's very um just a reflection on social media and, and modern life and how everything is so kind of glitzy and glamorous and and, and not real and for people yeah trying to get um satisfaction from external things really so i think it's just it's very instagrammy that's mm -hmm. facebooky that's kind of what what life is it's like for a lot of people to have this external uh, vision of themselves you know so mm -hmm. and definitely yeah. not healthy for people so. yeah my heart really goes out to you know the family of this poor man that you know that's that's passed and for and for everybody that knew him and for him it was mick, mick norcross wasn't it norcross yeah that's yeah. So sad, so 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 heartbreaking, and and actually let's let's just not you know move hold on to that thought for a minute. But this, you know, in in the situation we're living in now, mental health is really is like being ramped up. It's like someone's put under burner, and like so many people are struggling with their mental health, which is why what you do, James, is going to be 
even more important than it was before. Can you talk to us a little bit about mental health training, what that means, what it looks like, what kind of person we'd benefit from doing it, how we'd apply it? Can you flesh it out for us, please? I'll flesh it out, definitely. So so mental health first aid uh, training, I, I'm a mental health first aid England um, trainer. And what it is, uh, is for everyone, I think, and I personally, after doing the course, think everyone should do this course. So what we do is we look at the common uh, mental health conditions. Um, I mean, mental health, poor mental health is vast. Uh, so we look at depression, we look at anxiety, we look at suicide, uh, we look at psychosis, which includes bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, we look at eating disorders uh, and self-harm as well. Uh, we also look at personality disorders too. Um, we look at the warning signs that are, of, of poor mental health. We look at the, uh, the risk factors for it as well. Um, and we look at how we can help people uh, who we think uh, may be suffering from uh, poor mental health and also we do crisis first aid so when someone actually is really in need of some support how we can help this person how we can approach them how we can listen and communicate with them uh, how we can give support and information to them and as in physical first health so mental health first aid is is the same as physical first aid but just for mental health so we're there uh, basically to support someone until professional help arrives so it's giving people the skills and the confidence and the tools so that they can do that um, and then you know if it's someone for example who might be in crisis um, let's say psychosis uh, so psychosis they're going to be uh, three symptoms of that main ones are hallucinations thought disorders and delusions um, so it could be someone who's really confused and really doesn't know what, what's, what's happening to them. Um, so, you know, it would give us the, the skills to basically uh, just to support them. And who are we going to call? Who are we going to get hold of? Who's going to help them? And to be able to give, if it's emergency services, the information that this person, you know, they may be doing this. It doesn't give us the tools to become diagnosticians. Um, or therapists, or counselors, or whatever, but it does give us uh, an understanding of uh, poor mental health and, and what we can do if someone's suffering. So it's really useful. And, and in doing that as well, we have to look at our own processes. So the first part of the course is really looking at um, our view of the world because everyone's got a different view of the world. And it's very important to see that. And I think definitely in uh, today's world, we see very kind of, uh, polarized views on things like so this is my reality so it must be the reality for everyone else when it isn't you know we're all different even siblings within the same family will have different views on the world and different things that they like and different things that shape them through their peers through family relations through through lots of different things so it's really important that people see that so when they do come to someone who may be suffering from mental ill health they're not putting their kind of own judgments on them. So, uh, you know, a good example, again, someone maybe with psychosis, um, you know, they might, they might see things in a certain way and that that's real to that person. So, you know, you, you wouldn't go up to them and say, well, that's rubbish. You know, that's actually, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it just to be able to say, okay, right. I understand that this is real for you and it must be scary and I'm here to support you kind of stuff. So, um, so we do that. We, we really try and get people to look at their own processes, their own uh, stress, how they deal with stress, their view of the world, um, 
we also get them to look at mental health now as on, on a continuum. So rather than uh, previously, it was sort of like you're well, uh, good mental health or you're ill. And if you're ill, you're in a sanatorium um, and that's it. You're probably going to be medicated and locked up for the rest of your life. So the you know, one good thing that Thatcher did actually was to close all these places down. Um, so now people get help in the community. So we can think of mental health as you could have someone that's really good mental health. Um, they don't have any diagnosis. You can have someone with really poor mental health uh, who doesn't have a diagnosis. And there are a lot of people like that um, around basically who are really suffering and they don't have a diagnosis. Um, you can have poor mental health and have a diagnosis, which is, is good because if you can get a diagnosis, that means you're accessing services. And that means that you can um, hopefully maybe have a diagnosis, but still have a really active life you know you're living with your condition uh you've got medication and that helps you um you've got good coping strategies you've got uh good social networks you may be working and stuff so you can live with a mental health diagnosis but live a really good and fulfilling life set goals and and feel that you're really part of society and then you know maybe um the diagnosis um will go because you've been well for so long and that you don't you haven't had a psychotic episode for for years and um and then you can move into back up into that quadrant where you are someone who's got good mental health and no diagnosis so the main the main thing with mental health well one of the things with mental health first aid to do that we've got to reduce stigma because it's stigma that stops people from accessing services and um having these conversations around mental health um is really important, um, is really important for that. Um, so mental health, um, if we don't have conversations around mental health, then um, um, people aren't gonna talk about it. So that's one of the, the main things that we do is help to, um, to reduce stigma. So, um, go on. It's, uh, I was just thinking, uh, um, I, I, I have within my sort of wider family, there's a considerable amount of challenging behavior around mental health um and i just want i was just thinking you know quite often people didn't talk about it because they were embarrassed yeah. it was like it was a dirty secret yeah you know or there's something that and and a lot of name calling and and being excluded and it's really good to see you know the fact that poor mental health is now being talked about so much more openly because as you said as it comes out into the conversation and people start discussing it and recognizing the signs in somebody, they become a lot kinder to people. And I think like, I know from having worked as a therapist with people who um, struggle with their mental health, that actually to feel heard is really empowering and it allows you to feel like um, less isolated. Yeah. And then like you've got some choices because actually if you're made to feel weird and on the outside and like, you, them and us then you, you you kind of like you withdraw and the more you withdraw the worse your mental health becomes and more isolated you become yeah. i think mean, i liked what you said about you know validating somebody's experience i think that's something everybody can take away you know we don't know what somebody else is feeling or what their worldview is and it's not our job to correct them yeah you know there is a time and a place isn't there as a, in therapy where somebody's thinking maybe isn't quite right and you might teach them how to challenge that on their own terms but that's not our job is it 
our job is to when we encounter people who are struggling in some way is to 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 notice that there's a struggle and to you know give them some compassion and give them a space where they feel feel safe yeah. I, I was wondering what kind of I mean would you say that you say everybody should do this training yeah I think I think I think everyone should do this training I mean my my background in mean, I I um, suffer with poor mental health um, from from a young child as a young child um, and I have um, you know I've, I've, I suffer with addiction as well um, and I had lots of um, in and out of rehab from the age of 18 to the age of 31 and then I became a, a yoga teacher so yoga was something that really helped me uh, with my mental health um, massage as well um, so I had a bad back and I, I used to work for I worked in uh, I worked in IT for many years I also used to DJ and I was part of the rave scene and stuff and and uh, worked in the music industry but my main job was IT and I worked pretty much as a contractor I'd work for six months earn loads of money go and put some raves on that kind of stuff so I had that kind of lifestyle for a long time so yeah so I did that for years and then um I ended up working for a big law firm in the city one of the top six I had a really responsible job there and just working myself into the ground uh, there was definitely some discrimination and stuff that was going on with uh, some of my uh, colleagues and um, it was a really toxic environment uh, I was diagnosed with a bad back as well so I was in physical pain as well as uh, mental pain uh, but I was high functioning I mean I used to drink a hell of a lot and do lots of other stuff but I was high functioning I was good at what I did eventually it all went bang and I went off sick I had uh, while I was off sick they got three people to do my job so um, I just basically decided to dedicate my life to my health I thought I'm not going back to this um, I went to, uh, uh, had a time in the Priory, came out of there, and then I did, um, I went to a rehab where they had like massage um, and acupuncture as part of their weekly program, as well as talking therapies, Qigong, um, and I also um, started going to my local gym, there's a, a thing that in Islington where I live called Prescription for Exercise. So they signed me off for uh, yoga at my local gym. They signed me off for a one-to-one -one trainer, lane swimming, uh, because physical health is, is really a big part of, of, of mental health. You know, there's, there's no health without, without mental health. And if you're suffering physically, uh, you're gonna suffer mentally as well. So that's how I got into yoga. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then because it's something that, you know, as soon as I started uh, to eat, to sleep, to change my way of thinking, to change my way of breathing and moving, you know, I really got into yoga very quickly. Uh, there was a yoga kundalini uh, place near me. I used to do hatha yoga and, and uh, Iyengar yoga actually to begin with, but um, someone said to me who worked at the rehab that I was at, said, I, I think you might be weird enough to like kundalini yoga. And, uh, and I was. <laughs> and I went, I went to my first kundalini class and I loved it. It really, it really grabbed me. And they were doing a teacher training. It was 10 minutes from my house. So I signed up for it. And, uh, and that was it, you know, that was it. I just, it really kind of grabbed me. And I decided to do a teacher training just because for me, if you want to learn something, it's better to learn to teach it. And I really wanted to learn this, you know. Um, and then very quickly, because it's something that really changed me, like it has such a profound effect on me. 
I wanted to share that. So I started teaching in drug rehabs um, in, in London, central London and North London. Uh, I studied massage actually at the same time because that was something that really helped me with my physical and mental pain too. I volunteered in um, residential uh, alcohol uh, place in, in Islington, Rugby House, which is quite hardcore. Actually, some really hardcore drinkers in there. Um, and then just carried on working in mental health and being really involved with that. I studied psychotherapy as well, but like for me, there wasn't enough of this kind of holistic uh, view to it. You know, like when I was in the Priory, I had to escape from there because I wanted to run, I wanted to move my body. Um, they had like a ping pong table and an old exercise bike there. That was it, you know, 550 pounds a day. I thought there'd be like a gym and a pool and everything. No, no, no. They were like, you know, you have to do this in your mind. Otherwise, if you distract it with your body, da, 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 da. they've changed now. They have wellness that, uh, you know, but that was the thinking that was 20 years ago now. Um, so, you know, over that time, I had loads of different trainings in mental health, uh, you know, as many as I could in relation to yoga. So I did lots of reading and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I really kind of became, I don't know, an expert. Definitely it's my area of speciality. And that led me to uh, my yoga therapy training. So I did uh, a weekend course with Lisa Cayley Eiley uh, down at the Buddhist Centre in South London. And I was just like, that's I, I want to study with you um, and then I did my uh, yoga therapy training and um, you know even though like you know I work for I've worked for Mind I've worked for Rethink I've done uh, eight years teaching restorative yoga for mental health for the NHS um, the center that was in is now a food bank um, so that's finished now I also work for some really high level drug rehabs which are all 60,000 pounds a week uh, so it's like one person at a time, either in a, a flat that they rent or in a posh hotel. So I've had a lot of experience in poor mental health and stuff. But when I did my mental health first aid training some years ago, I was just like, this is great because this is a really kind of broad understanding of mental ill health. Um, and this is why everyone I think needs to do it. And I have people on my courses who, who run services for, for mental health charities and they think, Oh, I'm not going to learn anything, but they learn stuff, you know? So it's really, really good because it is so broad and people can have their area of understanding or area of uh, expertise in one spe specific area, but then you learn more about suicide and suicide prevention. And then you learn about personality disorders and then, and because mental ill health is so interlinked i.e someone that has depression is probably going to have some anxiety you know someone that has psychosis is probably going to have some depression they're probably going to have some anxiety there may be some substance abuse there may not be but it's all very interlinked and interwoven so once you get that really broad picture of it i think it really does help to um, increase one's understanding of mental ill health you know so I was just going to say, James, I think, you know, so many people assume that mental health won't affect them. Um, and they might have family members who might be struggling, obviously, with mental health or might have, you know, decided not to speak out about it. And having some tools for us just as individuals to be able to support somebody else in a time of need 
is such a powerful thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, where I live, I could step out on the street and I could guarantee within a few moments I would come across someone that is struggling in some way with their mental health. You know, and it's, it's quite apparent. And I and it's because similar to you, we've you know, there's quite a lot of similarities with our life actually, James, in terms of you know ways that we've sort of been and turned. And you know, I've I've struggled with addiction in my past. Um, I'm glad to say it's not in the forefront of my problems now at all. But being able to recognise when someone else is in that mental pain and knowing that you can do something, even if it's just that, are you all right? Yeah. Do you need help? Yeah. That could change someone's life, couldn't it? Definitely. 100%. And, and Dawn said it earlier, just to be able to, someone to listen to you and speak to you and, and just to throw some stats at you. Uh, one in four people, this is pre-pandemic, one in four people will suffer mental ill health. This is in the UK every year okay the last stat that i got uh in december so before this latest lockdown uh, which i know has been hard for a lot of people i mean it, it's definitely been really hard for me as well uh 48 48 you know mm -hmm. so this is like every other person basically and i would be very very surprised if in this last year everyone hasn't suffered from poor mental health mm -hmm. you know We've got one in six children at uh, primary school age will have a diagnosable mental health condition. This is pre-pandemic, you know, so 75% of uh, mental health, um, Ill, poor mental health starts can be traced before the age of 18, you know, I think 50% before the age of 12, which is terrifying, you know, mm. it's terrifying. And I think uh, globally, uh, depression is the second highest uh, burden of disease this is from the world health organization and it's tipped to become the highest so the, the biggest problem basically the biggest health problem uh is mental ill health and it's it's huge you know it's it's absolutely huge we all have uh poor mental health we all have mental health and this is the, one of the things because we think of physical health don't you? if someone says to you uh, physical health you think yeah healthy fit you know i can do whatever i want i'm not in any physical pain but when we think of mental health we automatically generally think of mental ill health and we shouldn't you know because it should be like how's your mental health great how's your mental health oh, i'm not so good today you know and that should be a conversation that should be easily had and it's not had you know it's not had in companies it's not had on the street unless maybe you know like yourself um you know if you've been through something and you have that empathy and that understanding then you might say to someone how's your how's your mental health how are you doing these days you know and mean it you know and mean it and in fact when I, barbara windsor i think it was michael cashman lord cashman uh, he was talking about uh, the late barbara windsor after after she passed and uh, he was talking about what she was like as a woman and um Apparently, I think his partner died or there's something, something happened and, and she said to him, how, you know, how are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm all right. And she goes, this is a serious question, you know, and I just thought, wow, Barbara Windsor, <laughs> that's kind of how we should be like instead of how you did. Oh, I'm all right. OK. And mm -hmm. it's just a throwaway thing. You know, it should mm -hmm. be real um, like that, a serious question and a question that we can ask and, and feel happy to ask and feel happy to hear someone's answer. You know, because I've been through this, mm -hmm. people ask me how I am. And you see, I talk a lot. People will ask me how I am and I will tell them, you know, and I will <laughs> probably give them like a whole story around how I am. 
and you can see some people going, okay, <laughs> just uh, okay, we'll do. <laughs> isn't that the whole thing, James, is that, you know, when we ask the question, we've got to be prepared to have an answer. Yeah. And so often there's such a throwaway response given, I'm all right, or I'm okay, or I'm good, when actually you can see they're not. Yeah. <laughs> They're physically and mentally presenting, not as, but, you know, they're saying that because they either don't want to share yeah. or they feel like you haven't got the capacity to listen. So, well, the one, and I'm going to throw another stat at you because we spend like 45% of our time listening and we don't have any training unless you've done some counselling training or some therapeutic training. Generally, we don't have training on how to listen. We spend at least 45% of our time uh listening to people and um it's a skill you know it's a skill that needs to be developed it's a big part of the course that i teach actually is, is developing listening skills um and it it helps because once you can listen to someone once people feel that they are listened to then they will speak and then you with your listening skills can actually listen to someone who might be speaking about something that's really uncomfortable for them and it might be a difficult conversation but you can kind of listen to it in a very um empathetic but still not be kind of drawn into it as you might do with a normal chat with a friend or something like that so yeah. developing those skills is really really important to try trying to trying to fix it you yeah, can't have fix the, it. yeah this is what we do we try and fix we try and silver line things we get in involved in it emotionally and then it becomes training and that's when someone talks to you about something that's difficult and then it's like oh you know because you take it on board but if you can actually listen reflect back um, allow the person to speak hold what's yours and and let them kind of hold what's theirs um, then it becomes a completely different uh, conversation completely yeah. different encounter as I was listening to that that's what was going through my head with that whole thing I think people don't feel that they can listen unless they've got an answer. Yeah. And that's a big thing, isn't it? To be able to, and it's a really valuable skill to have in life to know that you don't have to have the answer. Yeah. Like actually just to be what I call it, walking alongside somebody. You're just to be able to walk alongside somebody while they're having a crap time and they're in their depths of despair or sadness or fear or whatever it is that's going on for them. And to say, I, I can't fix this. And I'm not here to fix this, but I'll, I'll sit with you. One yeah. of my daughters sent me a really beautiful little, um, I think they're called memes, I think they're called, where, and it was yeah. um, the little, the little, um, it was a little person asleep in bed saying, I want to be by myself. And then somebody saying, I'll be by, I'll let you be by yourself, but I'll sit with you. Yeah. And I just thought it's so beautiful. I'll be alone. I think it said, I'll be alone with you. Yeah. Brilliant. Thought, perfect. Because actually sometimes, I know I'm, I, I, I would say my mental health goes up and down like most people's like sometimes I've had a, I've had a lot there's been a lot going on in my life and a lot going on in my family and it can be there's times where I'd, I what happens to me is I withdraw and actually I don't want people in my space but just to know that they care is very helpful so yeah. just have like a little text or if you want to talk and the answer is no go away I don't want to talk always but to know that if I did want to talk they would listen is very very helpful yeah so that's I think I think if people can take that away from our conversation, like you don't have to fix it. So don't feel that you do. Yeah. You know, it's okay just to listen. That, that's really, and to be kind and to, to, and also I see like practice that mindful communication where it's like, and I quite often get couples to do this. I'll say, just repeat back what you've heard. Like you're telling me you feel really scared. That must, I'm sad. I feel sad for you that you feel scared or 
I'm hearing what I'm hearing is that you feel really alone or you don't know what to do next. Is that right? Yeah. And that feel, and then they can correct you if that isn't how they're feeling. Yeah. Or and, and they feel so validated. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Just to be listened to, just to have someone actually really hearing you without, you know, trying to like I said, silver line it or put their own spin on it or using language that you haven't used just to be heard is such a, such a powerful thing. And we're, you know, we're social creatures. We need contact. We need to have agency. We need to feel that we're part of, of life and that we're valued by people. And then once we have that, it, it just changes everything. You know, it really does just to be listened to, you know, just to be listened to when you feel on your own. So in the um, thinking about where we are right now, coming towards the end of our lockdown, hopefully, um, and people starting to emerge from the world they've been inhabiting into the new world, I, I imagine there's going to be a huge amount of anxiety yeah. and some depression. There's lots of things that happen, isn't there? After a very difficult period, you can have elation and then crashing. Because actually, I'm, a, I'm one of those people that copes beautifully in an emergency. And then a few weeks later, I'll have a complete crash and need to take to bed for a few days. That's my, the way I cope. Um, I know that about myself. Um, uh, other people are going to be really, really anxious and maybe be a bit feisty and a bit angry with each other. You know, in the world that we're all working in, you know, the well-being world, the yoga studios, you know, maybe therapy centers and so on. How do you perceive that we can use these mental health skills you're talking about um, within our environment you know what should we be looking out for what can we do to look after ourselves and each other um i think i mean the mental health first aid skills i personally feel are vital for all yoga teachers um wellness professionals uh, massage therapists etc because um you know yoga uh, for me i mean yoga people come to yoga generally because they want something more you know they might not understand what yoga is doing for them but they know that they feel good you know they know that they feel better after it and you know yoga on its own even just your your you know a, a general hatha yoga or vinyasa class you know does you good you know yoga improves your mental health there's lots of scientific studies on that so a lot of people that come to yoga um there's often stuff that's going on with them anyway, you know, and they would have missed that social inclusion. You know, yoga for me, one of the most powerful things for me that every time I teach, it always really strikes me. You know, I, I teach a, a tri yoga, I teach it a few different places, but tri yoga for especially in central London, you know, it's, a, it's quite a fancy yoga center, group of yoga centers, and it's quite expensive. And, um, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit I don't want to say it's a great place, but you know, sometimes it can be a little bit of like, get out of my way. I'm more spiritual than you with some of the, <laughs> some of the people. It can be a bit like that sometimes, but then, and mm. even for me, myself, I'm a people person, but you know, I can be on the tube and I'm like, don't touch me, don't touch me. And then you go to a yoga center and then, you know, you're in a room and mats are close to people. And at the end of the class, everyone's lying on their back, legs wide open, arms wide, you know, completely vulnerable and completely open in a room full of 30 odd strangers you know and that's the the some of the beauty of yoga is that the social aspect of it you know the community aspect of it so you know i think yoga in particular because of that deeper level of connection because you know it's the spiritual aspect of yoga which is still there you know even in i don't know the most physical yoga class it's still a spiritual aspect of it there's still that air, uh, level of um something deeper going on you know something a bit more than just a, 
movement. So, so I think, you know, there's, I think yoga teachers really have a responsibility to be able to have the conversations around mental health, to recognize the warning signs. You know, I mean, what happens if there's someone there in your class, you know, that's got cuts on their arms, um, you know, there might be some old scars, they might suddenly become a couple of fresh scars or something that you might notice when their top rides up, or maybe there's someone that's coming to a class who's, um, uh, you know, maybe they're doing two or three classes a day and they're, um, you notice a change in their weight or something like that, or a change in their behavior or, or whatever, you know, it's really important to do that. I think especially as people come back because they've been affected, people will be affected by this. Everyone I think has been so affected by what's happened the last year. So I think people really need as many skills as they can to be able to, um, to help other people, but also to recognise in themselves um, what might be going on. And, and, you know, mental health first aid isn't, uh, you know, for me, it's about everyone. It's about the conversations that you have with your relatives, with your children, with people you meet on the streets and like mental health uh, uh, first aid. So if you think about road traffic accidents, there were uh, in 2018, I think it was 1,600, around 1,600 road traffic accidents. There were 6,750 deaths by suicide in 2018. 2019, that went up to just under 7,000. So when you think about it, and so we think about suicide. So suicide, this is like on the death certificate suicide. So this isn't accidental death. This isn't misadventure. It has to be deliberate deliberate and they have to have taken deliberately taken their own life you know um, so there's going to be a lot more that are going to be missed they reckon 10 to 25 times that um, are going to be attempted suicides you know, 10 to 25 times so that's 60,000 at best 158,000 at worst people attempting suicide so when you think about the people who are just walking around with suicidal thoughts it's vast. So you're much more likely to come across someone who's suicidal in life than you are uh, someone who's um, had a road traffic accident or, or someone who's having a heart attack, you know? So we all have physical first aid, which is definitely right and valid, you know? Um, but we need the skills to be able to deal with uh, mental ill health because we, we have this, you know, and it fluctuates and it changes minute to minute, day to day. You know, and I think in the time, the, the last year we've had, I mean, I, my mental health has been great because I've spent all of these, all of these years with poor mental health. I've had to develop the skills to look after myself. But even in lockdown, uh, the first lockdown. So I've in the first lockdown, I wrote a massage therapy training. I wrote, I'm quite a productive person. I wrote a film script, which got picked up by a producer um, I've got my mental health first aid stuff, which is good. My wife is a writer. She's just been done some work for CBBS. So it's like for us, it's been like really good. And for me, I'm always running around over London. So I was kind of happy to be at home with my family, but I still had a couple of episodes of depression. So the clinical depression is two weeks. You've got to be like, uh, have a really low mood, lack of uh, interest um, for two, for two weeks. I had it for like a couple of days, two separate periods. So I was able to kind of pull myself out of it. But I've forgotten how depression is just so overwhelming, you know, and so debilitating. Um, 
and I was just like shocked at even that everything was going great for me and everything I was kind of happy you know I was baking I was doing I love gardening so I was doing my garden stuff like that and it was sunny and um but you know and that was me and I just thought wow you know there's going to be other people who have lost their jobs who are in flats who are with partners that they don't get on with you know um who are going to be really who have got poor mental health already and you know there's also people you know I'm in the yoga world and the wellness industry most of the people I've spoken to have coped quite well with the last year because we've already got this kind of uh interoception so we've got our, we, we, we know our body felt senses you know we've got this kind of deeper understanding of ourselves we can meditate we can do yoga we can read about wellness and you know and all this kind of stuff other people don't they rely on their work you know they rely on going to the gym you know they rely on a lot of external things we were talking about tawi and all that kind of stuff for, for their gratification and those things have gone you know so then they're left with themselves you know and that's hard work you know that's hard work so i was just going to say as well i think what what i've noticed through lockdown is because people have clearly been withdrawn from a lot of those distractions i've noticed there's been a lot more people that have actually been more outspoken about their truth yeah and things that are bothering them in their lives and actually it's kind of a segue into something that you're working with with other yoga studios which is about you know raising the awareness of 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 racism within yoga spaces and within the practice and you know being a a, a queer man myself it's something that i've experienced a lot which is allowed this lockdown has allowed me to kind of find my voice because I've been able to step away from that stuff for a while. I think actually this isn't suiting me anymore. I don't like the way that I get talked about in certain classes or, you know, referred to in certain ways. And it's really made me question actually what am I comfortable with from a queer perspective? And I've seen that happening. I mean, obviously we had the the Black Lives Matter movement that was happening a lot longer before than the first lockdown. However, it was really interesting that a lot of these these movements have sort of become almost kind of ramped up because more people are on social media and actually, you know, there's a lot more awareness around them. So... Would you like to speak a little bit more about the work that you're doing in that area, James? Yeah, yeah. so um, I, you know, I've been teaching yoga for, for quite a long time now, for about 18 years, 17, 18 years, and I've experienced direct racism. Um, I think the first time it really hit me was um, there's a friend of mine who used to sell the evening standards, so this is going back a long time when they could get money for it. Uh, and uh, well it's actually worth reading as well and uh so he was selling the uh evening standards and i used to stand and chat to him just past the time of day and um yeah i mean this this was years back so i was much skinnier than i am now i'm not i'm not big but i filled out there but i was i was skinny then and i had dreadlocks so maybe i look more like a yoga teacher i don't know but so i was passing the time of day and there was a yoga center near to where that was that had just opened and this woman came along and he was like, oh, how's yoga and da, 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 blah, blah, blah. And she's like, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, oh, this is my good friend, James. He's a yoga teacher too. And she stopped. She looked me up and down 
She goes, yeah, right. And then walked off. And we were both like wow. open mouth. And my friend, he's a really, really serious guy, like a serious, serious guy. You know, at that time, he was probably doing like four AA meetings a day, you know, with all the stuff that goes with it. You know, he's a serious guy. He's not like some, you know, North London mickey taking geezer um if he had i'd have just taken it with a pinch of salt so he's i'd have thought he's a wind-up guy but he's not like that so she in that moment looked literally looked me up and down and she made the judgment uh that i'm not a yoga teacher and that's why i said that you know i was skinny then i had dreadlocks like now you know i filled out a bit you know sometimes people say you look like a personal trainer i'm like well, what does that mean you know <laughs> but so that's why I said that, because, you know, I mean, at best, I could think maybe she's being classist and she thought, well, what is a yoga teacher doing talking to this working class guy selling the evening standard? But it was about my appearance. Like she literally looked me up and down. And, uh, you know, so that that was the first example. You know, I mean, I, I've had other examples. I've called out a yoga center that I work for on it because I found that younger, less experienced, less qualified people than me were getting classes to the point where I can't go to any classes because most of the people have been my students at one point or another. And they made a lot of uh, effort to try and change that. You know, they have done a lot uh, to try and change that, but more work needs to be done, you know, uh, on that because yoga is a very, I think yoga teachers definitely, the yoga uh, is a very well-meaning place. Um, people have very strong opinions i think yoga people generally want to help people but i think there's a lot of um um what's the word i think people aren't as self-aware <laughs> as, as, as maybe that they should be so um that's so glad to believe this training came i mean i called out the yoga center that i was talking about a few years back and i you know i've had other things like i used to work for a posture called equinox and uh they had this teacher from la come over and she took over my class and they had like dj there playing awful music and and i was sat at the back they paid me to do to, they paid me anyway so they said come and do the class so I came I sat at the back of the room and um, sat most of the students were around me and um, she just like walked over to me this teacher she gave me two bricks and she goes hamstrings tight and you know, I'm not going to do an LA accent and put these bricks down and I just looked at her and I was like well I'm feeling a little bit stiff today but I'm all right you know <laughs> but she like made that snap judgment on me that I'm going to be like some kind of stiffy, you know, when, yeah, okay, it's all right. I might be a stiffy. I might be a stiff yoga teacher and that's fine too. But for some reason she came over to me without, you know, she didn't know who I was, you know, and then obviously she saw me practice. I think she said something to me afterwards. Oh, you've got a really good practice and stuff. And I just looked at her. <laughs> so that's kind of like a, a, maybe a microaggression, but this, this all came about as he was, I was, I was chatting to Lisa we're chatting we were on a facebook thread and there was a guy um i won't say too much but he's a guy he's a yoga therapist i don't know him but he's contacted me on on facebook i think he's one of these people that just likes to be connected that's fine um and on facebook he was going on about white privilege and how he doesn't have any white privilege and how people play the race card and he was talking about 
all lives matter and da 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 and just being a general dick you know and um and i don't normally i don't often engage with facebook arguments because it's just it saps your energy you know but this guy uh, he um i did with him because he was a yoga therapist um and also he identified as a socialist as well you know if he'd have been some edl supporting whatever then i'd just be like i'm not gonna waste my time on you but i did so i engaged with him and i was trying to tell him look this is this and that's that and da, 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 da. and he wasn't getting it and he was getting more and more defensive and more angry he was being misogynistic he was there was a doctor on there female uh, doctor and he was calling her an idiot and <laughs> you know and then I broke off of this conversation with Lisa and I said to her I've been thinking about doing a training on racism because of the stuff that I've experienced and then she said come and come and do it for yoga campus and I, I did and then I've been teaching it for uh, t- teachers at more yoga and yoga hub in Ireland and a few other places as well so and I, I think it's like from that, I mean, I use examples of conversations that I've been involved in and that I've seen on social media where yoga teachers have felt empowered to say racist things um, and and to do it openly. And then when you challenge them on it, they're really defensive. And I think a lot of people, they seem to think they've got the right of free speech and to have their opinion. It's like, yes, you've got the right of free speech, but it has consequences and we don't always need to hear it. You know, we so need to hear your bigoted opinions, and um, and so that's why I put the training together just to show people uh, in the yoga world, just to educate them about what is race, what is racism, the different types of racism, and, and just how prevalent it is in our community. And because um, actually, David Harwood, there was a program on last night, I think, on BBC about why more uh, people of color get um, COVID. And that explored some of the stuff that I've been looking at over the years about uh, race-based stress and trauma injury. So it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's not in the uh, ICD-10, which is the classification for mental health yet, but it's, um, a, there's been a lot of research in the last 15, 10 years about um, people of color, black people uh, being more likely to have post-traumatic stress disorder because of all the years of racism that they stu- suffer. Um, and there's also a massive amount of inequality as well that, that goes on if you are um, <clears throat> an ethnic minority. Um, so, for example, um, I live in Islington. Just next to me is a bus station where there's a bus called the W5, which goes from Haringey, um, Crouch End, which is very nice, uh, up to Tottenham. It's about a 20, 25 minute bus journey. So in crouch end your health starts to deteriorate at 70 in um tottenham it deteriorates at 55 um there's a nine year life expectancy 20 minutes like 20 minutes and it's not just because crouch end is you know if you want a four bedroom terraced house there's going to be like one and a half million or something and tottenham is going to be half a million which is still a ridiculous amount of money um you know, it's it's all about um, what kind of food you eat, community violence, being maybe from a different minority. There might be language difficulties. There's just this like whole um, social um, exclusion, feeling of being different. You know, I mean, I, I've experienced that. I mean, I, I was adopted when I was a kid. 
Um, I had a, on one level, very nice upbringing. I grew up in Windsor. I have a very middle-class family. I didn't want for money or anything like that. But my experience in life was very different from my three uh, white sisters and my white older brother. And for example, you know, I will walk around um, John Lewis, one of my favorite shops, not exactly the poshest shop in the world. And I might be wearing, I like my clothes. I might be wearing a very expensive coat. I will still have security guards follow me around, you know, and I will tell them, go away. I won't use that language. I'll use another, <laughs> another word, <laughs> stop following me around, you know. Um, and that's very different from the experience that my, the rest of my family have, you know, and the, the cumulative effects of all of this discrimination, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know whether you felt it yourself, Daniel, as a gay man, but it gets to you, you know, you don't verbalize it all the time. You don't speak mm. about it, you just get on with it. You know it's there. I mean, uh, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, I know uh, the word gay as a slur is still used commonly Gross. in the playground. Yeah, consistent, know. in fact, it's more it's more of a problem now than it's ever been yeah and on your you know on what you were saying james um from my experience um there is like almost a hypersensitivity around anywhere that i go where i feel threatened i go into you know full protection mode yeah you know, and that's either making myself disappear or being in that place where I just, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm present, but I can't communicate with people because I feel under threat because my nervous system is shot, yeah. you know, and it, it, it's akin to kind of, you know, PTSD. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but the trauma was actually being gay <laughs> you know <laughs> you know it didn't happen from an event it just happened from being born in a certain body yeah. in a certain society and feeling unsafe you know absolutely yeah. it's, re it's really interesting that now you know we've got younger generations thank goodness of people who are coming through now who are more used to being around queer people or people of different colours or people of different backgrounds. And that feels safer yeah. for them. But for us, we can't change that. Yeah. And, and 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 you can only understand the 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 way you can only understand it from your perspective, can't you? Or hearing other people's perspectives. And, and that unconscious bias, whatever it is that's happening, you're so aware of it and you know it's going on, but you can't even kind of, for me, I find it so difficult to even pick it out that it's happening anymore because it's around all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, right. and I, I, you know that, that's the only way that I can explain it in my kind of, you know, um, layman's terms of what I understand. <laughs> ask a question i'm mindful of our time i kind of really want to i really want to ask this question so i'm interjecting it's like i hear this i've seen racism within yoga what the yoga world i mean i'm a, a white female so i can't say i particularly experienced obviously i haven't experienced that i've had other kinds of prejudice directed at me um but i'm not going to bring that into this conversation but i've seen i've seen it between particularly i've seen it a lot between hindus against Muslims, mm. I mean, really horrific. 
to mm. the point where I've removed myself from situations because I, I my my viewpoint was always like, but we're one family, you know. Mm. Surely we're one. I mean, I'm not even sure if that's the right, correct way to deal with this anymore. And that's what I wanted to say is like, from a place of having had that experience, how do you see us going forward as a community to kind of treat each other with equal respect, to, to start to change the kind of the story and the way that somehow yoga has been brought into the West and colonized and commercialize and materialize all of it. I mean, what's, what do you think? What's, what's, your, what's your thoughts on it? I think, I think we need to have more conversations. We need to challenge people, you know, people need to be prepared. I mean, one of, one of the things I tell people that if you've, if, if, if when you're having discussions around race and ethnicity, if that makes you feel uncomfortable, then there's something going on that you need to address. Yeah. And it might be uncomfortable, but you've got to do it. You know, I tell people, you know, don't feel guilty, you know, with, you know, I'll give you an example. One of my sisters, they're all older than me. They're not, my sister in question, seven years older than me. We were, we're quite close. And recently she apologised to me. And she said, James, I never knew what you went through when you were younger. Because she'd spoken to my mum, who'd never really spoken about it. She, I mean, I was wild when I was younger for good reason. Um, but my sister didn't know, you know, and this is someone who's close to me. She didn't know about all the stuff that went on with the police. She didn't know about all the stuff that went on at school and everything else, you know. So... I think people, it's happened, you know, don't, people don't have to take it as a personal attack just because there is racism or they may have been racist. Oh, I don't know, you know, but I think we just need to be open to these discussions, know that they're uncomfortable and, but they need to be had, you know, and there, there are, unfortunately, I mean, there's, there's someone I can think of who's, uh, I won't go into details. I need to challenge this person actually, but I've looked into them and they are like a Hindu nationalist with links to far right Hindu. <laughs> I think we're probably talking about the same person and I'm not gonna we're not gonna bring out names because that's yeah. not what the podcast's about. But and this person needs to be challenged and, yeah, yeah. and the, the people around that person. Exactly. But and I think one of the things with the yoga world is, you know, um A.G. Mohan, who's been one of my, I'm lucky enough to have been one of my teachers. So A.G. Mohan is like the, the last surviving senior di uh, disciple of Krishnamacharya. And he's very much, you know, you've got Iyengar, you've uh, had, because Iyengar's passed, you've had um, uh, Patabi Joyce, uh, Ashtanga, um, Desika Char, who's yoga therapy father, and then A.G. Mohan, who's more sutras. So I did this... Um, uh, training on mental health actually and addiction with uh, A.G. Mohan when he came uh, some time back and he, everyone's there with their nice yoga staff and, and he sits down and he's just like go on stretch do what you want like that <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's like doing their best like vinyasas and you know and he goes are you happy now and like, okay right so and he goes you know yoga people are the silliest people ever because you could just tell them whatever and they believe it you know, they don't challenge anything. You know, you can say, oh, do this, stand on your head for 30 minutes every day and then you'll have this and then they'll do it, you know. So, you know, we need to challenge. We need to challenge people. If we see racial injustice, if we see any kind of bigotry or, or, or injustice at all, then we need to challenge it because, you know, yoga is about that. It's about inclusivity. It's about something higher than ourselves and being a part of that, whatever this vehicle that we're in now is is looking like or whatever we should we should really be uh you know whether we like it or not as yoga teachers yoga practitioners definitely as yoga teachers we're community leaders 
you know you have people come to our classes they look at us to help them change their life for the better you know and we have to act responsibly mm. uh, we have to act responsibly it's very interesting I, i've i've been in trainings where there has been challenges that have happened not about racism not about um queer subjects but there was a challenge that was made to a senior teacher by someone that was sitting in the audience mm. and the way that it got dealt with was appallingly mm. because they didn't like hearing what that person had to say mm. that person was saying something that was controversial but needed to be discussed and it got shut down the person got asked to leave the training because they was being um that was being um, seen as being kind of causing problems, whereas actually they was entitled to ask those questions. Yeah. It was well within the subject, but it is the, it's the whole hierarchy of the way that we get taught yoga is respected to this guru, guru or person, and that is being pulled apart at the moment, isn't it? You know, well, it, it should be. I mean, you, obviously you need respect for your teacher, but that whole... You know, I mean, I remember when I went to Shivananda <clears throat> to do my Hatha yoga training some years back. It's very militaristic. Yeah? It's mm -hmm. very like, you have to do this, you have to do that. You don't question and da 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 da, da. And, uh, you know, that needs to be changed. I mean, we, we've seen that, you know, a lot of the gurus, even though they've, they've, they've passed down lots of this great knowledge to us, haven't acted uh, in, uh, they haven't acted with dignity or with respect to, to their students at all, not putting it politely. So... You know, the whole guru system, I think, it has changed now, for sure, the way yoga is taught. Um, but we need to challenge, you know, we need to challenge stuff that's not right. You know, we really, really need to. And, you know, it's been there. We've seen abuse of power. We've seen sexual abuse. We've seen so much of this. Um, and it needs to be changed. You know, it needs to be changed. Every, it does. You know, I mean, we see it all the time. It needs to change. I, re I, I so agree with you and I feel like I really want to carry on this conversation um, another time <laughs> because I want to I want to have the conversation and Daniel and I are always talking about this stuff and not coming up with any solutions really because it's just such a big topic like we try to be really inclusive mm. and welcoming of everybody and we try to make our prices welcoming and even our grocery systems and so on and still I would say predominantly our studio remains very white wouldn't you agree daniel mm, absolutely. And, we kind of, and we kind of keep saying well what do we do what do we do what are we doing wrong what else can what can we you know you don't want to be i don't i don't, I don't have the answers i kind of think i can't i genuinely don't have the answers and i don't know is it a problem that's gone on like it's come from before and it's just a natural culmination of the way that yoga has been bred in our country and this is where we are and actually we just have to change what we do going forwards but what changes need to happen i really don't know but mm. what i'm hearing you to say is let's start having conversations and i i i agree you know we do of course and the same with daniel you know you're part of the bigger wider conversation around lgbtq plus stuff and that community and really exploring opening up and being welcoming and giving people a voice and a place of safety and I guess for me I'm, I've always been about questioning everything having been brought up in a cult I never believe anything anyone tells me I always assume there's an agenda yeah. and I always want to know why the why 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 should I do that well, well I don't want to do that that seems ridiculous and I'll always need to know and I'll need evidence to back it up and I kind of think from what you were saying is that in the yoga world there's often a lot of 
not questioning. It's like people just hand over their power. Yeah. It's like, I'll, you know, you've told me that you've been on a, you're a yoga teacher, therefore, and I've had this said to me so often, you're a yoga teacher, you must know. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't have a clue. I have no idea. You yeah, mm. go and see an expert, go and see a nutritionist, go and, you know, I don't know. Well, how do you feel? Do you want to stand in your head? Do you not want to stand in your head? I don't, I don't know. But I think that takes quite a lot of self-awareness to be able to say that, to be able to question. Mm. And um, yeah, I'm rambling, aren't I? But I think we need a wider conversation around the whole culture of yoga as it is and how we make it more welcoming for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, what to, for the conversation of that, I mean, I tell people, because people ask me, how can, how can you make it, you know, have conversations with people. If there's someone of a different ethnicity at your yoga studio, ask them how do they feel how do they feel about the advertising how do they feel about what can make it more inclusive uh, for them or more welcoming you know invite community groups that might be around in or, or or whatever you know um but you know when it comes to you know i think yoga teachers need more training you know i think yoga teachers need to have training on on race and ethnicity people do my my courses and they're you know they they don't know about it you know it's not in their their teacher training and i don't even go into the whole history of yoga where it came from i do it from a very like now like where are we now what's race what's ethnicity and uh, how should you how can you have conversations because people don't know language changes all the time people are often afraid to to speak to someone like for example with yoga therapy like in my background people are always very interested to talk about my adoption and what was it like growing up with a white family and I'm like, my family were great. It was all the skinheads and all the squaddies and all the casuals on the street <laughs> and the police. Uh, they were the problem, but they don't want to hear about that, that racism and all that other stuff. Um, you know, so when I teach on, on the yoga campus, I say to people, look, you know, if you've got someone coming to you for yoga therapy, if they're stressed, if it's their job or whatever, ask them, do you think your ethnicity is involved? You know, do you think this plays a factor? Have you suffered from racial abuse? You know, has this been a factor in your life? And often people, uh, you know, because it's been uh, prevalent, you know, like for me, I was listening to David Harwood last night and he said, you know, people would drive past and they call him in, at the N word, you know, da, 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 and, you know, you'd have all this abuse and you just got on with it, you know, and you just kind of did what you could. You didn't talk about it because, you know, you had to, have this stiff upper lip you didn't want people to say you've got a chip on your shoulder or whatever so people kind of just dismiss all of that abuse that they've had all of that suffering and stuff like that and just don't think that it could be a factor in their life when in fact you know it is often you know it is so I mean when I first I like I said I grew up in Berkshire I've lived all around the UK but when I first decided to move to London um I was in a country pub near to my parents' house. I was with a friend and um, we got some drinks. We sat down and she goes, doesn't it bother you? And I'm like, what? And, uh, and she just looked like that. And I looked at the bar, everyone at the bar was looking at us. And as I looked at them, they all turned around <laughs> with their drinks to face the bar. I said, no, it doesn't bother me. I said, you know, they're just curious. You know, they probably look at, she was, she was quite cute. Maybe they're looking at a cute girl in the pub. I don't know. Um, and then I thought, you know what, it does bother me, you know, and I've actually had it up to here with all of this, you know, walking into a room and everyone looking at me or, 
you know, people locking their car doors as I walk past and stuff like that, which, you know, it used to happen all the time, you know, going into shops and suddenly security guard comes to talk to me and I'm just like, piss off, this is H&M. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, just go away, leave me alone. You're like, I'm looking for a t shirt that costs like six quids, you know. <laughs> so, and it does build up, it does, it does get to you. And, um, and uh, you know, I think it's all about talking and it's all about, I think, empowering people to have the conversations. And someone actually said to me about they wouldn't feel comfortable having these conversations because they were a white middle class person and da 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 da. And I said, don't have them then but just recognize that it's difficult for you not to have them, you know? Yeah. And then in doing that, there's something happening, you know, mm -hmm. there's something happening. And maybe this person will look and, and think about a little bit more about why it does make you feel uncomfortable to have those conversations, you know? So I think yeah. we, unless we actually talk to people, unless we have compassion, um, you know, then nothing is going to change. You know, nothing is going to change. And we see from society now, even from the pandemic, you know, we've had Sunak, who's done some good things, proudly announces he's going to give 500 million to mental health. Uh, and then in the next sentence, says he's going to give 16 billion, 16.8 billion to the Ministry of Defence. What? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't watch the news. Don't tell me horrible things like that. I'm in denial. Oh, my God. What for? What, is, what are we defending against? Europe, probably European Union. <laughs> they're going to build a big, They're going to build a big wall around us. <laughs> Europe's going to pay for it. Yeah, Europe's going to pay for it. So you know, we've got to work. We've got to do this ourselves. You know, we live in a, a society, the sixth richest economy in the world. You know, where we rely on charities as frontline services. You know, I mean, yeah. we've seen what happens when a pandemic happens. There's no PPE. There's nothing there. Everything is stretched, you know, um, can't cope with it. So, you know, it, it's the same on all over. So it's really up to us as individuals. Obviously, we need to like make and a, a lobby for change in the government. Mm -hmm. um, but we have to do what we can do as individuals to make the world a better place. For each other absolutely and, and, and mental health um you know and and you know we're like I, I keep saying we're social beings we need other people if if you know someone that they feel bad you feel bad as well it's a natural thing to do because your friend is suffering this happens on a on a more wider scale on a more global scale as well you know and at the moment there's big divisions in our society you know you see it with lewis hamilton top of his game you know he's a he's quite a humble i think he's quite a humble guy you know he's like the ultimate racing driver ever and he gets knighted and because he supports blm he's a tax exile and da, 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 and you know they don't people don't like him you know if you want to see if evidence of racism just go to itv uh facebook page look at the comments on there anything about anyone of color <laughs> you know but yet jackie stewart so jackie stewart who's a great racing driver also a tax exile is you know is 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 you know just put exalted and you know quite rightly is a great guy uh but yet lewis gets all this stick we see it with megan and and prince harry mm -hmm. you know and um you know there's been all of this stuff with the government um all these government contracts going to mates with pubs and what have you and then suddenly it's like oh megan and harry 
Megan, let's focus on Megan and Harry, you know, so there's, there's a big agenda with the press and, and with the government, I think. I don't want to start getting too political or, or, or whatever, but it's 100% for sure we as individuals have to do what we can to make the world a better place. And um, by making, you know, if other people are suffering, we will ultimately suffer ourselves, you know, and I think that's a thing that a lot of people don't get at the moment. You know, I think I agree with what you say. I've, I've kind of gone through a bit of um, uh, a change in the way I look at things in the past year. Um, probably I've had too much time to think. Maybe that's a good thing. Um, and I used to feel quite differently. And I feel very much now that actually is a, it, yoga is a political thing because yoga is everything. And actually we can't, if, if something's wrong, it's wrong and we need to speak out about it. We can't say... Well, that's you know. Oh well, I don't. I don't want to disturb my zen. You know, mm. <laughs> we have to look at uh, how we're. I mean, I, I was thinking as we were talking, I was thinking, I don't want to bring all this tenseness into the yoga space. You know, I don't, but on the other hand, I want people to be able to have those conversations. And then I was thinking, well, people, you know, people that are coming into my yoga space are pretty much all white, and pretty much all from one class on the whole speaking. Yeah. Even though I'm very working class and was brought up working class and really, you know, that's been part of my struggles through the years is being able to afford to do half decent trainings because they're so expensive. Um, and I was thinking, you know, but we have to look at the setup that sits around the world of yoga that is holding it in an elitist form because mm. it is elitist. Mm. And that, you know, we, we have a voice, we have the energy and maybe maybe not after COVID because we're all a bit skint, but we have some resources that we can use to help to support the community. I really like what you're saying. I think these conversations are really important and they don't have to come onto the mat. We don't have to be kind of making comments while people are doing their stuff and in their sessions, but we can look at our language, I guess. I guess, Daniel, you'll correct me if I'm, if I'm not quite right on this, but our language and our tone and our intention setting when we set up our classes. What, what do you think, Daniel? What are you thinking? I think naturally what happens with yoga is it reveals our true self, our true nature. You know, that is the ultimate goal, really, of what yoga does. And to be able to access that, there's lots of pain and trauma around it that stops us from being able to access it. So we need to work through that stuff. And working through that stuff can't be done solely by being on a yoga mat and breathing and moving and meditating. We have to have conversations. We have to make amends with people that we feel that we've maybe, you know, hurt in some way in our past. And we need to challenge people or confront people that are challenging or hurting us in some way in our present moment. And I think that needs to be done both on the mat and off the mat. And for me, Yoga is nothing but political, <laughs> you know, that I think it, uh, when I first came to it, it was a it was a saving force for me. But now it's allowed me to find a very strong voice. And I'm hearing that from you, James, as well. It's about actually being able to convey. This is what stops me being who I really am, because there's all these constructs and there's all these ways that I feel or get spoken about or I'm scared of or I don't fit in in some way and I need to find a way through my own yoga to forge a path into my my truth into my future and by doing that it's challenging 
like you've said, Dawn, you know, people don't like to hear. They, they want to hear, they want to hear, you know, they want to hear the positives. They don't want to hear negative stuff. And actually, we learn from hearing a balanced argument. We learn from hearing things that the people are really struggling with. And this is why it's so important to have these conversations, I think. Yeah, yeah and I'll just finish with one thing that's in my, in my mind is that don't use your practice to avoid your life. And your life is impacting on every other individual on the planet. Everything, we're all connected, it's unavoidable. So the practices of yoga are not to avoid. Sometimes they're a little refuge because you need a bubble. You can't live in a bubble forever. So the practices are there to inform you uh, and to enable you to live more fully and to tread gently and kindly and lovingly with our, with our whole community. And I guess that's part of that is being tooled up enough to have these conversations and really own our own our own stuff yeah exactly yeah. and we should be uh, whole as people whole enough as people to be able to do that and if we you know if we if we can't have these conversations if someone does challenge us then um and we do find ourselves getting upset then there's work to be done you know there's work to be done and uh, it's our duties as, as yoga practitioners as yogis to do to do that work um, absolutely yeah. James, do you want to tell us where people can find you in terms of websites or yeah, social handles sure. or where people can do your, your mental health training as well? Sure. So um, um, I am at allaboutthemind.com and that's my mental health uh, training website. Uh, I'm also at jamesmchapman.com, which is my yoga and massage uh, stuff. I think at Ch J Chapman Yoga for um, Instagram and probably the rest of it as well. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of where I am. I think online. Uh, so if anyone would like to get hold of me and has any more questions, I'd be happy uh, to do that. Um, yep, definitely. And, and thank you for asking me. I mean, this is part of the conversation: mm. is to have people like you guys having me on and talking about this and bringing it out there to everyone else you know and this you know this is a start of it I mean you know you might be in an area I, I don't know what how Lee is I've known a couple of people from Lee obviously actually um and you know if your demographic is kind of what it is that's what it is but you can still do stuff like this you can still like have these conversations and use social media and, and other stuff to, to get it out there you know because uh you know it's so necessary and, and you know we're we're not going to uh, evolve as beings by being more insular you know mm. we're definitely not we need to be more open and, and this is what the practice of yoga gives us um and we should use it thank you james thank it's you. been an absolute pleasure to have thank you me. here and just yeah thank you for sharing what you have and just yeah keep doing that amazing work that you're doing and you know bringing it to people because it's so needed so thank you for your time my pleasure thank you thank you daniel thank you dawn so um in the next couple of weeks we've got um a few um further yoga therapists actually lined up um, we're speaking to um jess glennie who has recently written a book all about yoga for hypermobility, which we're really looking forward to chatting to Jess about. She's a yoga therapist and is um, very active kind of in the, again, the, the promotion of um, yoga in a very inclusive way. 
Um, we're also speaking to um, the lovely Jude Murray as well, who is also a yoga therapist. Um, and she's written a really amazing book, or she's written a book yet to be published. Um, it's coming out in April, all around yoga and supporting people who have been affected by cancer. Um, so I'm really looking forward to chatting to both Jess and Jude about those. So um, thank you so much, James, again. Thank you, Dawn, for being here and your wisdom as always. Um, if you want to follow us, you can find us um, now on Instagram at podcast from the heart. I think we're at now. <laughs> um, we're on Apple. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, please leave us a review or let us know what you didn't like. And we will try and address it in some way. So until next time, thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.